You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson back in action, talking all things Texas A&M, and today, well, the college poll rankings came out. Texas A&M was ranked inside the top 10. Let's break down their status and maybe if they should have been a little higher, a little lower, or where they fit just right. This episode of Locked on Aggies is brought to you by rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is an online auto parts service system that has been serving customers for the past 20 years. Go visit rockauto.com and type in Locked On on the How'd You Hear About section so to know that we sent you. It's amazing selections, reliably low prices, and all the auto parts you will ever need. rockauto.com, it's the place to be. As always, if you love this podcast and everything else, make sure you're following me on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show and I love public feedback. Anything you can do to make this a quality sounding podcast Monday through Friday, give me a follow, give me a shout out, and I will add it into the mix. Secondly, Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies is your number one source for all things 12th man related content found here on LOP. You can subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live every single day at LockedOnPodcast.com. So, the USA Today coaches poll was officially released on Tuesday afternoon. And with that in mind, we now have a better look of where the preseason rankings are for all these teams. Naturally, Alabama comes in at number one. They had 63 of 65 first place votes, and number two was Oklahoma. Texas A&M did come in the top 10, but they came in at number six. Was that a good ranking? Overall, when you look at the roster at hand, there's ups and downs, there's positives and negatives, and there's a lot you can argue in favor or for with Texas A&M coming in at number six. They do return a very good receiving core in the sense of weaponry around them. I don't really know what they have as a number one receiver with Caleb Chapman, Damon Demas, Chase Lane, Hezekiah Jones, Musa Muhammad, but combine that with the likes of Anaya Smith, Isaiah Spiller, Devon A. Chain, Jalen Wa- uh, Weidemeyer, and a few other names like a Baylor Cup, you have a good unit. You have a very good unit to build around. After that, you have to look at the offensive line. Kenyon Green returns, but he also is moving from inside to outside. How will that affect Texas A&M as a whole? Will that be a problem when they could use a guy like maybe a Trey Zahn on the edge where Green fits better interiorly, or you use a guy like Ruben Fathery who fits better on the edge, you could play him inside, or does Layden Robinson and a few other guards be able to step up right away and make that impact where Green was for the last two seasons? Now, defensively, this is not a problem. Defensively, you could argue that Texas A&M is the number one team in the country because they're returning five super seniors on top of the likes of having a guy like an All-American defensive end in DeMarvin Leal, a really good breakout player in Aaron Hansford at the linebacker spot, two really solid contributors in McKinley Jackson and, of course, uh, Andre White Jr. filling in for Bobby Brown and uh, Buddy Johnson, respectively. And they have a pretty decent secondary with guys like Damani Richardson, Miles Jones, Jalen Jones, um, Antonio Johnson, a few others to say the least. But the question is, do they belong inside the top five? Now, number six is not a bad location. It really isn't. I mean, when you consider all the other teams in the SEC and you consider how many teams are represented, you're going to get a little SEC bias and people are going to probably put you on the outside in. Number six to me just feels like, okay, you're right there, but let's look at the other five teams to say, are they at least better going into the year? 
So at number five was Georgia. I think Georgia is the most complete team in the SEC from top to bottom. But again, last season, they did have a couple losses. They lost to, I believe it was Florida. They lost to Alabama. They didn't go to a New Year's Six Bowl. I mean, they went to a New Year's Six Bowl game. They didn't go to the college football playoff. They finished sixth in the rankings last year, I believe, because Ohio State came in third. Um, Notre Dame came in fourth. Uh, Alabama came in number one and Clemson came in at number two. So you look at all that, you go, okay, that's fine. Uh, After that, you have Ohio State. Ohio State, they were placing their quarterback in Justin Fields. They were placing a few defensive names. But outside that, they look like the same roster as last year. And maybe that's not a good thing for Texas A&M because, again, we're trying to figure out, is Texas A&M in that same category as the likes of Alabama? Are they in the same likes of Clemson, of Oklahoma, of all those other programs? Yeah, maybe. But I know for a fact Ohio State, if they can get the right quarterback, which it seems like C.J. Stroud is going to be the guy, as long as that's what happens, they're going to win the Big Ten. And if they win the Big Ten, they're going to be a top four team. Because, again, SEC bias comes in, you kind of push them to the side, and you focus in on other names. So the name you would think uh, uh, think of is, you know, Bama or Georgia. So you can't have three inside the top five. You can only have two inside the top five. Until Texas A&M proves that they can play inside the top five, they're likely on the outside looking in. Number three is Oklahoma. What was funny was Oklahoma got more first place votes than the number two team, but they come in at number three. Ultimately, this is the best Oklahoma roster I think Lincoln Riley has had in his time with the Sooners. I think this is the best chance he has to actually win a game in the college football playoff and make it to the national championship. This feels like the best bet. I don't know for sure if it will be, but it feels like it it should be at least. It feels like this is the one game where I look at on paper across the board and I go, you know what? If Oklahoma ever was going to have a run for their money, this would be the season. Number two is Clemson. They have the best defense in college football, in my opinion, maybe behind A&M. They're the only two that I think are competitive with each other. Offensively, they already have DJ Uyengale, who has worked with the offense before. He has played in the system. He at least has reps underneath his belt. So I get it. And then you have Bama coming in at number one. Do I think Bama is the number one team in the country? No, I do not. Do I think that Bama deserves to be number one because they're fresh off of a national title? Yes, I do. Those are two different statements that don't mean the same thing. And that's all I'm trying to make with that. Bama can be the number one team in the country this year to begin the year because of what they did last year. But by season's end, I don't think many people are going to say Bama is number one. So when I look at this list, overall, do I disagree that AM should be inside the top five? They should. They really should after what they did last year. But at the same time, you're replacing four starters on your offensive line. You're replacing your quarterback. I get why they're coming in at number six. I think that if I were to make an argument, maybe I would move um, Ohio State outside the top five and AM inside the top five. That'd be it. But besides that, I think I'm okay with it. Bama deserves to be number one because they're fresh off a national title. Clemson always is in that conversation, even though I do think that maybe they should be number three instead of number two. Oklahoma 100% has the best roster that they've ever had underneath Lincoln Riley. Ohio State, again, if you if you 
Give them a quarterback. They're going to be fine. And Georgia, to me, is the most complete team in the country. I actually would put them at number one going into the year. Uh, the rest of the coaches poll came out this way. Number seven, Notre Dame. Number eight, Iowa State. Number nine, North Carolina. Number 10, Cincinnati. Number 11, Florida. Number 12, Georgia. Number 13, uh, LSU, number 14, USC, number 15, Wisconsin, number 16, Miami, number 17, Indiana. That's a shocker. Uh, number 18, Iowa, number 19, Texas, 20, Penn State, 21, Washington, 22, Oklahoma State, 23, Louisiana, 24, Coastal Carolina, and 25, Ole Miss. So, Ole Miss, LSU, Florida, uh, Texas A&M, Georgia, Alabama, all are represented in the initial college football rankings for 2021. Again, the SEC, it just means more, and it's proven as almost 50% of the league is mentioned inside the top 25. College football is right around the corner, and there's already early odds on who will make the college football playoff. So when you go make the bet of where you want your team to land, make sure you go to the one place we love and the one place we trust. That's betonline.he. Betonline.he is the fastest and easiest way to get in all your sports bet action. Get the latest news, info, and odds for all your sporting needs, including MLB, the NBA, of course, college football coming right up, and UFC MMA action. Head on over to the website, betonline.ag, on your mobile device or laptop, and sign up today using the promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% bonus with your first deposit. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbooks experts. Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, what are we going to talk about next? There's a lot that actually could go through. I don't know exactly what I would go with right now, but... Okay, let's talk about this. Let's mention the run game. Because the running game is going to be really important for Texas A&M in 2021. You have a freshman quarterback or a first-year quarterback, however you want to describe it, whether it be Haynes King or Zach Calzada, whoever gets the start, they're going to be brand new. They don't really understand the system. They don't really understand the NFL just at that level yet. So or college football, my bad, at that level yet. So the run game is going to be really important. And you have four running backs that I think could really be utilized in the right formation. Isaiah Spiller, Anias Smith, who is more of a wide receiver, running back, whatever you want to call him, Devon A. Chain. And I'm looking ahead to LJ Johnson because LJ Johnson entices me a lot. With the way he pounds the ball, when you watch his film coming out of Cypher High School, he looks the part of a three-down running back. When you look at what was done in Tuscaloosa for years with Derrick Henry, it's a eerily similar. Home run speed, good power, a nice balance of blend of size and speed. There's not a lot to really dislike about his game. And he's probably going to sit for most of the season because if you already have a 1-2-3 combination with the likes of Spiller, A-Chain, and Smith. But, same time, maybe you utilize him in sub-packages or in formations where he only plays on a certain amount of snaps or red zone plays. There's a lot of ways you can use him. But I do think there is a way for this offense to be very successful in 2021 behind these three running backs. I view this as a team that has a plan in motion. First, second down is an Isaiah Spiller play. Every first down, I will be very shocked unless he's hurt or he's just had a lot of carries. You see anybody but 28 in the backfield. This is the guy who's going to set up the drive. This is the guy that's going to set up the current, yeah, the current drive. So you have three downs to get 10 yards. 
I expect him to be on the field for two of them. Because if you have home run speed, if he gets to that second level, but on top of that, he has great power and blend in between the tackles that will allow him to push forward for those extra yards really early on. So say you're running like a first and 10 play and you want to run a counter. Maybe you have him run through B-gap, which would be right in between the guard and tackle. And he picks up like three or four yards. Next play, it's passing play. Maybe you use him on a swing route. Maybe he's using the backfield as a blocker. I still expect him out there for those two plays. Because a first and second down really set up what you have to do on third down. And if it's on second down, you get the first down. I still think you leave him out there. And you can then use another passing play. And on second down, maybe it's second and three, you run it up the middle. You go ahead and just run a halfback right of the A-gap, right off the center's butt. And he picks up the first down. Keeps the drive alive. In that situation, the best player to use would be Isaiah Spiller. But on the flip side, if it's third down and you know you have to pick up the yards and it's anything under third and if it's anything over third and five, Devon A-Chain has to be in the backfield because Devon A-Chain's speed allows him to work both the corner in space and as a receiving threat. All you have to do if you're Haynes King or Zach Calzada is a quick dump pass. And as long as you have a great block from your wide receiver or your tight end, wherever you're trying to place the ball for that new, for A-Chain, he's going to get the first down. It's going to happen that way. He is going to get the first down and continue to expand his play every single snap. Now, say again, it's more of like a third and two or a third and three or a third and one. I actually expect Anaya Smith to be in the backfield. Because Anias can run so many different things. You can send him in motion as he looks to be going out. You could then throw a bubble screen or a wide receiver slant route or you know just a regular screen to have already the blockers to where he's in motion and has his speed gearing up to where he can get to that next level in an instant. That's what I like about when you look at uh, Anias Smith. Because if he's somebody who you can use in a multitude of ways... You also can have him run between the trenches, and I think he would do fine. You also can have him run a bunch of counter plays to where he kind of works inside out. And I do think at the same time, you can use him in the backfield, swing route, swing pass route, get a good block just like you would A-chain. He's good. He has wide receiver vision being in the backfield as a running back option. That is the big plus when you look at this deal for Texas A&M. Now, red zone offense, I do believe... I would use as much as possible the likes of LJ Johnson. This is a guy who is burly, not going to be someone who probably sees a lot of carries this year, but I do think that what he brings is a nice balance of size that allows him to bulldoze his way past that initial defender on the defensive line and into that second level to where the linebackers are playing. Now, linebackers, depending on what kind of formation you're running in the red zone, are either playing a little bit more out, like they would be playing over the the uh, guard's head or maybe even the guard's outside shoulder. That would then be a read and react to where they would either get sucked in to the play too soon, allowing a more open approach and basically a walk into the end zone. Or, this would be a foot race to the end zone because at the same time, you're running it up A-gap and linebackers are playing more BC gap, they would have to commute back to the middle and then be able to beat Johnson there. But Johnson's speed gives him the ability. Either way you look at this, I do think that you won't see as many touchdowns through the air as Texas A&M fans probably want. 
Haynes King, I think, is a very good quarterback. Zach Calzada is a very good quarterback. And I do think that once they build a rapport with the likes of Hezekiah Jones, Musa Muhammad, Damon Demas, Chase Lane, the list goes on and on and on. You'll start seeing more passing touchdowns, but I do think that that could take some time, even up to mid-season when they're playing Alabama. That's how long it could take for them to be able to bulldoze their way into the conversation. But at the same time, I look at this rushing attack. That is going to be the team's bread and butter this upcoming season. And if you're smart and if you're Daryl Dickey, you realize this is a unit that can be even better than it was last year. You had one runner rush for over 500 yards, another rush for over 200 yards, another rush for over 1,000 yards, and combined, I think they had a total of, um, I want to say it was 17 or 18 touchdowns. I honestly think you could double that. I think you could see 32 touchdowns on the year because, of again, you're playing lesser opponents. You're facing off against a Colorado team. You're facing off against a Kent State team, a New Mexico team, a Prairie View A&M team. You could run that ball up consistently to where you score 20 touchdowns on the ground just between those four teams. And that's not including how you're going to have to score against Alabama. That's not including how you're going to have to score against the likes of maybe Ole Miss, how you're going to have to score against the likes of Mississippi State. The run game is going to be very essential to Texas A&M. And I do think when you look pass versus run, Running with this four-man group, including LJ Johnson, who I do think is going to have somewhat of an impact this year, is going to be very beneficial for this team really early on. This episode of Locked on Aggies is brought to you by Bilt Bar. Did you know that Bilt Bar has nine unique delicious flavors and every single one is covered in 100% real chocolate? So whether you're a coconut gal, a cherry guy, a mint brownie type kid, or even a peanut butter brownie lover like myself, there's always something for everyone. And if you don't know what flavor you like, don't worry about it. They have a actual case that gives you a mix box of two bars in every single package. The bars contain about 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, only four grams of sugars, and just four net carb grams. That is a big time splash on one of the healthiest bars you can find out on the market today. Go visit BuiltBar.com and type in LOCKED15 to save 15% off your very next purchase. That's LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Stop eating the salty sweets and enjoy a treat that will meet your needs. Built Bar from BuiltBar.com. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. We'll end the show with this. And it, guys, it's been a long day. So there's not much that we can go into today. There's going to be a lot more we can talk about tomorrow. But let's end the show with this. Justin Matabike is going to be a name, I think, that a lot of NFL teams are going to wonder, why did they pass on last season? And it's going to come back to bite them in the keister. But right now, NFL.com, I forget who was the writer who actually wrote it. Uh, No, it was ESPN.com. That's right. Named Justin Matabike one of the top 25 prospects, which basically means that they've had under 500 snaps or they're under the age of 26 as an up-and-comer to watch for in 2021. Matabike was a healthy scratch for the first four weeks of the 2020 season, but a key rotational cog in week five onwards, missing two games due to COVID protocols during Baltimore's uh, December COVID scare. Matabike came alive with a sack, two tackles for a loss, and a pass defended in Baltimore's playoff game against the Titans. The Ravens will probably want to see some development with him as a pass rusher this offseason, but he's plugged in very well with the run. You look at this, this is something that, again, most people have talked about, that I think overall, there's a lot to like about Matabike. And again, he is the youthful guy on a veteran off uh, interior defensive line. The interior line of Baltimore is by far the oldest part of the team. Calais Campbell is 35, Derek Wolf is 31, and Brandon Williams is 32. 
Matabike is going to figure getting some extra reps anyways with Jihad Ward off to Jacksonville, but the draft came and went and no extra investment. It becomes clear he is a huge part of Baltimore's plan. And John Harbaugh, the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, even said he has played very well and has taken a big step. Um, he's dropped... Uh, uh, he dropped to the third round for whatever reason, and we were very, very fortunate and blessed to get him there. We have uh, he, The way he played last year is to where we want him right now, and it's very encouraging. I'm very excited about him. I can tell you that the defensive line is excited about him too. I saw Derek Wolf over there celebrating with him a couple times on some things he did. So yeah, we're all fired up about Matt Abike. The one thing I will say is that his run defense at College Station was uncanny. So it doesn't surprise me that he's made an immediate impact in the run game during his time in Baltimore. What I will be interested to see is how he can be effective as a pass rusher. He did lead the team in sacks in 2019 for A&M, and I do think that there's a lot to like about his overall potential. But at the same time, I'm not sure he's ever going to be an elite pass rusher, but you don't have to be when you're playing in a 3-4 system. That's what edge defenders are for. That's what Tyus Bowser and Jalen Ferguson, players like those names, have to do during their time in Baltimore. They have to go after those type of players. They're the ones who have to get 9, 10, 13 sacks a season. Matabike, if he gets about 4 or 5, I consider that a big win. And he's playing with his hand in the dirt. He's also learning to play more of a 5 technique than a 3 technique. So that's another thing that you have to keep in consideration. I think that this is going to be a really good year for him, and I think that once again, you look at how the defensive line has played the last few seasons, defensive lines overall at Texas A&M have made immediate impacts at the next level, and I think that this is another player who can do that. I think that giving the you know giving him a full offseason to truly sit down, learn, and understand the system is going to be so beneficial for his career, and now he has that. Because if he's now going into year two and people are viewing him as maybe not a full-time starter, but a very key rotational piece. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. We'll be back tomorrow to talk all things Texas A&M. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasting systems or on the Odyssey app. We'll be back soon. See you tomorrow. And remember, kick them y'all. This has been Locked on Aggies. Presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.